Good evening, everybody. It's nice to be here with you. So we have witnessed some horrific terrorism in Israel um, just over a month ago, and uh, it's been very sickening and grotesque and depressing, really. But the Bible does have an answer of hope. And if you were paying attention in the section that we just read from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 30, you will have heard some of those words of hope. And we'll come back to Isaiah 30 as we um, progress through our, uh, our class this evening. This is uh, a place that you may have heard on the new, uh, news. It's called Steyrot, and it's in Israel. It's near the Gaza Strip. And uh, I took this picture earlier this year because uh, we were in Israel and uh, we traveled through Steyrot, which was a place that I want, wanted to visit. I'll explain that a little bit more in a moment. So Steyrot is um, near the Gaza Strip. If you can see the Gaza Strip, which is highlighted in the orange color there, um, at the top right-hand corner of it, you'll see a little dot, a little red dot, and uh, if you maybe have good eyes, you'll see Steyrot. So it's at the top right corner of the, of the Gaza Strip. Um, this map actually shows where the Hamas invasion took place, which is the dark orange spots leading out of the Gaza Strip into those areas. So the Hamas terrorist organization um, did uh, affect the community of Steyrot and some of the other um, smaller communities, Kibbutzim, um, down uh, along the Gaza Strip and just to the north of the Gaza Strip. Um, that is the Gaza Strip as you see it from space, and you can probably make out the line of where the border is, and uh, I can highlight that in red for you. So that's what is known as the Gaza Strip, which was part of Egypt um, up until 1967, and uh, Israel ended up taking that area in a war. They had some communities that were built there. Um, those communities were destroyed uh, by Israel, pulled out of the Gaza Strip completely because they didn't want to uh, kind of be in there. And, um, and then since then, it has gotten worse. They haven't been able to normalize anything because any shipping or free uh, travel of goods uh, would bring in uh, armaments that would be used for terrorism. And so it's, uh, it, it's been an ongoing problem. Uh, Steyrot is just right there. So there's the Gaza Strip and there's the community of Steyrot. So it's very close to the Gaza Strip and it's been affected by rocket attacks for many years now, um, that community, uh, because of its proximity uh, to the Gaza Strip. So this is the picture that I show you to begin with. I took this picture um, and as you can see, there's some uh, children playing soccer in, in a field um, there, as you would see in many other places in the world. Um, to the right of that, you can just sort of make out a building with a funny roof. And that's one of the reasons that I went to Steyrot. It was because I had heard about these, um, these buildings. That's a school. And um, it's just uh, incredible, really, that there would be such a structure that you would never see or hear about on the news. Um, that is the school, and that's a closer up picture of it, obviously, the same one that you can see in the right-hand corner there. Um, that's what it looks like. Now, it sort of looks like a normal school, but as you can see, 
the roof of that school is something out of this world that you would never see anywhere, uh, that a, a school would have a, a roof like that. And the purpose of that roof, as you may have uh, guessed, is to protect that school and those children uh, from rockets that are often fired from the Gaza Strip indiscriminately against civilian areas. And so they um, have not been able to deal with that. So in order to protect the children, uh, they actually have built these massive roofs, protective roofs over the schools. Um, that's the other side of the school. And um, <clears throat> what's, what you can see there um, is actually a bomb shelter. So not only do the children have to have this protective cover over their school, uh, but they often also may have to run to the bomb shelter when the sirens go off. Um, and yet you would never hear about that on the news hardly at all. And you, you definitely would hardly be able to find a picture of these schools on the, on the Internet, even though um, there's nothing like it anywhere else in the world that I'm aware of, that there's children that on a daily basis for many years have gone to school in this type of a, of a situation. And there's another school uh, closer by, um, and it doesn't have a protective roof over the whole school, but you can see that there's uh, two sections that do, one on the far right and one on the far left. Uh, that, uh, the one on the left, you can see it includes a roof and also includes a cement structure against the wall to protect again from, uh, from rockets. So Steyrat was one of the communities that was affected by this Hamas uh, terrorist invasion that took place on October 7th. And this, the police station in Steyrat was completely destroyed because it was taken over by terrorists and then uh, the Israeli police and defense forces had to take back uh, the police station, and, uh, and they just destroyed uh, the police station. So it's been quite a, uh, a horrific time, really. And um, as I'll explain, and as we'll maybe appreciate a little bit more, what uh, a, a horrific time it's been for Israel as a nation. Uh, before we talk about that, I just want to acknowledge that today is the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht. And if you are not familiar with that, it was really, uh, in many ways, the beginning of the Holocaust because it was on November 9th and 10th in 1938 that um, many Jewish synagogues, businesses, and, um, and so forth were smashed. People were rounded up and taken away by the Nazis, and that was 85 years ago anti-Semitism just exploded in Germany and some of the territories that Germany had uh, taken administration over. Um, and unfortunately, today in Western societies in Canada, we, we also see an explosion of anti-Semitism, which is honestly on a disturbing level if you're connected at all um, to what is happening. And it reminds me of this verse in Revelation chapter 16, talking about uh, the fifth uh, vial just before our time, but it says the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast and his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. And that spirit of not repenting is what we see when we see anti-Semitism again exploding in the world around us 
after um, World War II, after the horrific things that happened in the Holocaust, that we would think as advanced modern societies that we would not allow this to happen again. And yet it is, it is happening again. Um, and there was an interesting piece written on the National Post today, and I recommend that um, it would be a worthwhile read uh, that is written. Uh, I believe Vivian is a former ambassador to Israel in, uh, for Canada, and she writes uh, this open letter uh, entitled, Suddenly Toronto Resembles Germany in 1938. And if you're tuned in and if you read this piece in the National Post, You'll get a good idea of you know, what's happening uh, in Brantford. There may have been a few small demonstrations, but um, we don't appreciate it as to what is happening in other cities in Canada. So really a grave time uh, that, we, that we live in. But again, tonight we want to consider the message of hope. One other thing that I just wanted to point out was something that came to light today. And that was that on October the 7th, even though it was a surprise attack that happened very early in the morning, on complete secrecy, shrouded uh, from, from everybody, as far as we know, outside of Hamas and uh, those in the Gaza Strip. But there were um, journalists, photographers embedded with Hamas as they did the surprise attack on Israel. Uh, and these photographers were used by CNN, by Reuters, by the Associated Press, by the biggest news organizations in Western society. This is where our news has been coming from. People that were in with Hamas so actually came to light. There was a, if you may have seen it, there was a picture of one of these photographers embracing the leader of Hamas and, and other pictures where they were identified um, and as a matter of fact, Reuters was selling the photographs. <laughs> you could buy them on the newswire that were from these photographers that were being used by these news outlets. And the reason I mention that is because uh, the news that we get on our mainstream media outlets is very questionable, extremely questionable. And, and if this is where our news is coming from, how are we going to believe anything that we are told? If the photographers and journalists that are giving us news out of the Gaza Strip are essentially in with the Hamas terrorist organization, as you can see pictures of them on the morning of October 7th, as people were being kidnapped and so forth um, in that attack. I want to go back a little bit um, just to make a, a point about the state of Israel and, and how it came to be. Um, Heim Wiseman, who was one of the main gentlemen behind that in the Zionist organization, the head of the Zionist organization, uh, was coming up to the vote in 1947 uh, where the U United Nations would decide whether there would be a state of Israel or not. And uh, Heim Wiseman had to appeal to the UN Assembly. And in the hotel room with some others that night, they were trying to find a Bible verse to read out to the nations of the world. And so they didn't have a Bible um, of their own with them. 
And so the Gideons had placed one in the drawer for them, as uh, the Gideons always did. And um, I'm not sure if that's so much a practice now. I'm sure it still is in, in, in some places. But they did find a Gideon's Bible in the, in the drawer. And I guess it must have been a King James, because I believe that is the version that was quoted to the United Nations. And it's astounding, really, the verse that they found, the one that they chose, because it was read out to all the nations of the world, and it's taken from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. And it says, It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, and he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. What an incredible passage. Incredible in so many ways, but one main point is that it says, the Lord shall set his hand again the second time. Just so that you know, nobody could say, well, this is talking about when the Jews came back from Babylon. No, this is the second time that God would bring his people back. And so it could only refer to our time. But notice something else. It says that the Lord shall set his hand, his hand. It was the hand of God that brought the Jewish people back. That's what Isaiah chapter 11 says. It was the hand of God that brought the Jewish people back to the land again. And, uh, and that's acknowledged by many Jews today. And um, when I was um, in Israel, when I the same uh, visit that uh, when we went to uh, to Stayrot, um, um, I met with this uh, man, a rabbi who was, a, uh, was a, a member of the Knesset in Israel for the Likud party. And um, I sat down with him, and um, we discussed a number of things. We discussed the Temple Mount. We discussed Bible prophecy. Uh, we discussed the, specifically the return of the Jewish people. Uh, we discussed a, uh, an organization called Amitzim, which we'll see a little bit what he says about that later. Amitzim, which uh, his wife, Hadass, runs this organization, and he is now involved with it. And you can kind of see the background where we were. It looks like we're in a tent. Well, we kind of were in this outdoor picnic tent kind of area because we met at the place uh, where this foundation operates that looks after widows and orphans. And so he's involved in caring for widows and orphans. Um, what I'm going to show you here now is part of a conversation that we had about the return of the Jews back to their land again. So. Book of Deuteronomy, we already see that Hashem says, I'm going to scatter you to all the corners of the world, and uh, you're going to return, and you return, your, you, you, you return physically and return your heart to serving Hashem. And uh, yes, and the prophets uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel all describe it, in words of prophecy, in words of, of uh, as you said, uh, Ezekiel 37 talks about the uh, dry bones. Uh, as that, that's what the people of Israel were like. We were scattered around the world, probably in almost every single country in the world. And uh, there was no soul. And uh, the fact that we returned back to Israel, and not only to Israel, to Jerusalem, 
the city of God, the city of uh, of uh, of His divine presence in the world, and that is our capital. Not only the capital of, of people of Israel, but the capital of the believers in God in the world. So uh, it's it, you don't you can only anybody who doesn't see in the uh, state of Israel the fulfillment of prophecy materializing and becoming a reality should buy himself a new pair of glasses. Okay, so that's the point, the main take-home point that I want to get from that. that. Here we have a prominent figure in Israel saying that if you don't see the fulfillment of prophecy today in what's happening with Israel, you need to get a new pair of glasses, which is a good way of putting it. It's so obvious if you if you open your eyes to see it. So we saw it in 1947, and here we see somebody recognizing that today. And there's been some phenomenal examples of this that I'm not going to show you um, right now, but uh, just over the last few weeks that, that I've heard. And so this is really a, a, an idea that is really coming to life in Israel, that just recognizing that it was God's hand that brought us back here to this land and that this is a fulfillment of the, of the Hebrew prophets. So I want to really note that point, <clears throat> that we would you know, remember that, because obviously there's a lot of noise about you know, different accusations flying back and forth about what um, Israel does and so forth. But let's remember this high-level point. Um, and that is that the return of the Jewish people is a result of the work and the hand of God, the hand of the Almighty. It was God that brought them back to the land. So we can then ask the question, was God wrong in bringing his people back to their land again? Because that's really the question that we, that we need to answer if we don't want the Jews in the land today, is to say, well, was God wrong in doing that? And if we recognize the Bible, and, and, and we have to, you know, if we recognize the Bible, you have to recognize that the Bible prophesied this. The Bible said this would happen. And, and we can, you know, show that in more ways than, than we just have. But um, the Bible said that this was going to happen. It's fulfillment of prophecy. It's the hand of God. Well, then it makes me think of this verse in Acts chapter 5 and verse 39. Where it says, but if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. And that is the situation that you put yourself in if you today are against the Jews being in the land of Israel. You're fighting against God. And, and it's not going to, uh, I don't think that's going to end very well. But this also gives us hope. Because there is a hand in control of events. There's a hand controlling events. There's a plan. There's a plan, as we'll see, with a, with a great ending to, to what's happening. So there's a hand in control, and there's a plan, and that should give us hope. And we can see that we're nearing the end of this, of this plan. Uh, when when uh, there will be righteousness and justice and peace in the earth.
So I wanted to make that point because to me that's helpful in, in my own mind for, for sort of sorting out all the things that are going on. I want to talk about um, Israeli society a little bit more. Um, one of the things I didn't mention when we were looking at the school really is a contrast there uh, in between that school that's protected, that people have gone to great lengths to protect that school from missiles. There's that incredible roof over the school. There's alarms that go off if there's any missile threats. And there's a bomb shelter also to go into if there's any trouble. So people have gone to a great length to protect those children. Unfortunately, when we go into the other side of the border, into Gaza, it's the opposite. We've seen many um, examples in the last couple of weeks where children are actually put into dangerous places where they're used as human shields and so forth. So there's a big contrast there. Well, Israeli culture is a very family-oriented culture. And um, <clears throat> if, you've, if you ever go to Israel, you'll notice this in, in so many different ways. Uh, one way is just how that everybody looks after other people's children. And I've seen many examples of this uh, myself in the land of Israel, where um, people just look after other people's children. If there's children around, people trust each other and uh, within the Jewish communities, and they, they trust their children with each other, and they look after each other's children. A very family-focused um, society. Um, I was flying home once, and uh, a younger woman behind me with a baby, and uh, an older woman that she didn't know, they just met, they were talking behind me, and they just met. And then, uh, and, uh, and then they were chatting for a while. And then next thing I know, the older lady has the baby. And then we got on the plane. And then the baby was just kind of going around the plane to strangers. But that's just a little example. But that is Israeli society. That's how their, their culture is. And uh, this picture is taken on the Sabbath, on Shabbat. And it's a park in Jerusalem. And the wonderful thing about the Sabbath with uh, with children and, and in Israel is if you're religious, you can't press buttons, so you can't use any phones. So no phones. Everybody's outside as families together, um, spending time in, in, in a park in this case and uh, and spending time with families. Again, that's Israeli culture and society. And I just want to uh, put this verse that we have there on the screen from Zechariah chapter eight. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his staff in his hand for very age, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. And uh, if we're familiar with the scriptures and the hope that we have, you may, obviously you would think of that as being the kingdom, and that's what it is. It's, it, you know, that is the time of the kingdom of God. We haven't gotten there yet. But this is what you see. That is exactly what you see in that picture. That a hundred years ago, there were no Jews hardly at all here. 150 years ago, even, even less so. Maybe a handful of Jews in Jerusalem. And yet today, there's old men on benches. There's children playing in the streets of Jerusalem. An incredible fulfillment of Bible prophecy, as we'll talk a little bit more as we, as we, um, as we continue on. Just another picture in the old city of Jerusalem uh, with some, again, children. And, 
just it amazes us because Jerusalem is the capital city. And if and if I think of any other capital city that I've been in, whether it be London, sort of Ottawa or provincial capital like Toronto or Vancouver, I would never go there and see kids that can barely reach up on the bus to swipe their card traveling alone on the bus. And yet, you know, we just we were using the bus a lot this spring when we were in Israel. And we noticed that a lot. A lot of little kids just going off to school like this with no parents together. Older ones looking after the younger ones. Again, that is Israeli society. And so when we when we notice that culture, when we appreciate that culture, it really it can really strike you then how horrific and grotesque these terrorist attacks were on this culture. I mean, they would be on any culture. The things that were done would be to anybody. Anybody, they would be horrible, uh, the, those terrorists did. But to a culture that values family and children so much, it really, really is a horrific thing that really is going to impact this nation in so many ways. And we're going to appreciate that even more as we, uh, as we continue on going through um, our material uh, this evening. I want to notice or just point out one other um, thing. Um, this is construction taking place in the land of Israel. Uh, but um, what I want to appreciate, uh, what I want to communicate to you and to appreciate is that Israel is a project under construction, if we can put it that way. It's God's project. It's the Almighty's hand behind it, but it's under construction. And it might kind of look like this sometimes. You go to Israel and you say, well, you know, are these God's people? How come I'm seeing this? Or how come, you know, how come there's a bar in Jerusalem? How come people go drinking? Or how come, uh, you know, there's other things that I see that aren't of the kingdom of God? How come there's uh, Western stores or whatever it is? Right? How come those things are? Well, it's because it's a project. It's not finished yet. And tonight we're going to talk about how that project will be when it's finished. But it, right now it's under construction. And we have to keep that in, in mind because we're not everything in Israel and Israeli society is not going to be perfect at this point. Um, and so we need to we need to recognize that. But let's recognize this as well. This is from Ezekiel 38. John looked at it last week. It says, therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, who's the invader of the land of Israel in the last days. Thus saith the Lord God, in that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it? And it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come up against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. Two things to notice there. One, even though, you know, for those of us that are more familiar with these things, even though the Jewish people at this point, we don't believe, have recognized or understand the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though that is the case, and in this chapter and many other chapters before this, God calls them my people. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24 and 25, he says to them, prophetically, he says, before you call, I will answer. And God's saying, before you even pray to me, I'm already answering your prayer. And we can see that in the story of Haman. 
Remember the story of Haman and Mordecai and Esther? God began delivering his people before they even needed delivering. Never mind before they prayed to him. That's our God that knows the end from the beginning. And that's how he works. So he views them as his people, even though, you know, legalistically, everything is not yet perfect. And God has feelings for his people. He that touches you touches the apple of my eye, God says. So God says, they're my people. He considers them his people, even though you know, we, we, we might be able to argue that, well, they're not, but they are as far as God is concerned. And when this invasion of the land takes place, God's reaction is that his fury comes up in his face. He's very angry. God is very angry when that happened. And I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever on October 7th, God was angry. God was angry with what happened on October 7th because that's, it's the same kind of thing that's going to happen right here in Ezekiel chapter 38. So we talked about how Israel is a society that values family and a society that values children. And I want to just explore that a little bit more. When I was in Israel, I um, met with Yehuda Glick and we had the conversation with him that was really interesting. And I said he talks about an organization that his wife runs and that he's very involved with that looks after widows and orphans. And he's going to talk about that here in a second. I'm going to play that for you. And then uh, the other person that I met uh, when I was there is a man that uh, some of you will have heard of. Remember, I've talked about in the past, David Rubin. And he also has a organization that looks after children that have been in fact affected by terrorism. And, uh, and, you know, at the time, I didn't really think of, it, of that, you know, but it really struck me as I was preparing this material that both of those people that I met were caring for those types of people, widows and orphans. And, uh, and so let's uh, just listen to uh, what Yehuda Glick here says, because he, he also draws a parallel with building the nation, building um, God's house, as it will be, uh, on the future temple with building family. And uh, I thought that was a very interesting uh, comparison that he made. So let's listen to that. I'm telling them, direct your prayer to, to Jerusalem. Connect to Zion. Connect, come to Israel, go up to the Temple Mount. And let's make sure that place becomes a house of prayer for all nations. And, and, and that's our goal. And it's a goal that, that I can't do alone. It's a goal I need. I need supporters from all over the world. So that's, uh, as I said, that's one great thing that I'm involved in. The other thing that I'm involved in is here, a house for something that I believe is, uh, the Bible talks about it again and again. You want to rebuild my temple, God says. If you want my temple to stand for eternity, you have to strengthen the concept of family. You have to strengthen the concept of family by supporting the young widows and orphans. Young widows and orphans are families that one parent passed away, and these families are broken. And in order to build Hashem's house, we have to help build and rebuild personal houses that have gone through a destruction, a loss of a parent. And unfortunately, today in the world, the concept, the value of family is at stake. And people are not, don't understand the importance of family. And one of the blessings that God said to, bless to Abraham, you shall serve as a source of blessing to the families of the earth. 
We have to teach the, the concept of family. And the way Hashem wants us to teach the concept of family is through supporting families that have gone through a, a, a challenge of a loss of a parent, a loss of a spouse. And uh, so we run the Israel Organization for Young Widows and Orphans. It serves 30,000 orphan children in the world. And in, in Israel, I'm sorry, 30,000 orphan children in Israel. And we try to, uh, to bring uh, the awareness the, the the strengthening the familyhood because very often people deal with orphans they understand they're talking about taking the children away from the house and putting them in different orphanages but the Bible does not support orphanages the Bible says there's a family lost a parent and strengthen the family and the best thing you can strengthen is the linkage between the, 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 the child the orphan and the surviving parent so that's what we do today I deal with as I said rebuilding Hashem's house it's a global mission uh, as a house of prayer for all nations. And we believe in these families, families that have lost a parent and a spouse. So building families, again, notice how that is so important in Israeli culture. And, and one thing that Yudha Glick there said um, also is that the Bible does not support orphanages. And it's interesting because um, completely, you know, not at all, um, planned or anything like that but you'll see uh, when I was talking to David Rubin we'll see that in a second he says the exact same thing uh, that uh, the Bible does not support orphanages and we do not support orphanages we we uh, work on strengthening and building the family and unfortunately after the events that happened on October 7th both this organization which is called Amit Seem and uh, the Shiloh Israel Children's uh, program is going to have more people to look after because uh, uh, soldiers, a lot of soldiers have died, other people have died, and children have experienced trauma and will continue to do so in this, in this situation. Uh, this is Shiloh, um, both ancient and modern. So ancient Shiloh is here on the bottom half of the screen. That's the Shiloh of Samuel the prophet, of Eli the priest. And the new Shiloh is up on the hill above it in the mountains of, of Israel uh, as a fulfillment of prophecy. And this verse in Isaiah chapter 61 says, And they shall build the old wastes, and they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. What an incredible verse in that picture. That's exactly what is happening. And not only just building houses, but building families, building a society and strengthening families as you know, Yehuda Glick talked about, how that is part of building God's house to him. And also we'll see the same with, uh, with David Rubin. Um, and uh, there he is at the entrance to the therapy center. Um, that uh, that he established, and um, that was the beginning of, of that. Um, he'll talk about that. Was uh, in 2001, his son and him himself and his son were victims of terrorism, and his son was shot in the head and he was shot in the leg. And he'll talk about that, and that is why he started to do uh, what he is doing um, today. Um, oh, here we go.
because you have to understand in, in Shiloh and in the, here in the biblical heartland of Israel, there is hardly a child that has been untouched. Whether a trauma in the family or you know, a terror attack in the family, somebody killed or wounded, or if not in the family, then an extended family or a neighbor or a teacher, everyone knows somebody. And when you have that, the level of PTSD, post-trauma stress disorder, is so great uh, that uh, it requires treatment. And that's what we're here for. My three-year-old son and I were both wounded in a terrorist attack some years back when terrorists ambushed our car. Uh, my, I was shot in the leg. My son was shot in the head. And we miraculously survived that attack. We came out of that attack with a mission. And the mission, which frankly it took me a while to figure out the mission after I finished counting the miracles uh, that God blessed us with on that day. Uh, but the mission that we came out of it eventually came to be called the Shiloh Israel Children's Fund, whose purpose is to heal the trauma of the terror victim children and, yes, to rebuild the biblical heartland of Israel through those children. So we've established therapy programs, educational programs for those children. So we have become a community leader. It's not just Shilu Israel Children's Fund uh, doing the, the work with the children. Uh, we... We're also working with the parents and with the families. We are not an orphanage. We don't believe in orphanages. We believe in families and and building up families, rebuilding families. Rebuilding families. Again, they will build up the ancient wastes. They're going to build up societies, the prophet said, and they're going to repair what was in the past, and they're... Also, we see them repairing now, repairing families that have been affected by, uh, by terrorism. And, uh, and the reading that we had also, we look forward to a greater time of healing than you know, any of us, what we can do or what they can do is limited. We have to do what we can, but it, it's limited. But it says in Isaiah 30 that we, uh, we read together, it says, moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days. In the day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their wound. So Isaiah 30 prophesies that there is a time of healing coming um, to, to Israel. Um, the other incredible thing that... Um, that we saw when we visited um, the Shiloh project um, was this uh, in the school was the children learning because we talked about you know David Rubin talked about building up the children and repairing the children and of course the way that I would think of, of building up and repairing is through the word of God and so uh, on the tour that David Rubin gave us, we went up to this uh, classroom where the children were learning Bible. 
and they were learning the Bible by heart, and this is the, the kindergarten uh, class. just want to notice a couple of really interesting things about this classroom. Um, I don't know where everybody would be from in this classroom. Um, I mean, there could be some kids there that have been in uh, grandparents or great-grandparents that were in Israel because there have been Jews in Israel for a long time. But as you look around that classroom, you can see um, some different ethnicities in the kids because, as we know, the Jewish people returned from the four corners of the world. And uh, it would be really interesting in that classroom just to kind of go around and ask the kids where their sort of ancestors were from. Um, because definitely there's kids there that um, are from the West, from America, from Canada, from the UK, from Europe. There's, you know, I would say for sure there's going to be kids there that are descended from Holocaust survivors. There's also going to be a lot of children there from Arab lands, from uh, Yemen, from Libya, from Iran, from Africa, from Ethiopia, from India, um, from all over the world. And, uh, and you can just notice that by looking around at these, at these beautiful kids. Um, so just let's summarize a few things here uh, that I want to point out. So first off, these children are learning Bible. They're learning the Bible by heart where Samuel the prophet was a kid. Where Samuel the prophet learned the Bible, there's kids today, Jewish kids, learning the Bible. That is just absolutely phenomenal if you know the history of the Jewish nation at all. As I pointed out, those children from worldwide diaspora communities, the Jews were scattered to the four corners of the earth and God's brought them back and they're all here in this classroom. And this is happening in Shiloh. And it's, as we saw, it's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy that they will build up the old wastes. And, and here's a new community with kids learning Bible in, in Shiloh. Incredible, absolutely incredible. So I'm just going to play this now. These kids are going to be reciting um, Genesis chapter 1, the first portion of the, of the, of the Bible. So. את הפרשה הראשונה בתורה, by heart, yeah, by heart. אני צריך לדעת זה בעל פה. מוכנים? So, first verses of Genesis, what does God say? It says that God created light, and God divided the light from the darkness. 
very uh, significant words in, in today's world. And what an incredible thing, what incredible energy, what an incredible fulfillment of prophecy to see that happening today on the mountains of Israel. And we can see the hand of God. You know, you go in that classroom, you go in that classroom and see those kids. And it's like God opened the door and showed you what he's doing. That's what God's doing. That is the generation that God is raising up in his land, those beautiful kids. And uh, you can see why God's angry when God comes down on the land, because uh, you open that door and, and God is showing you what he's doing. And, and it's incredible. So I want to talk about a couple of um, ancient Israelites. Uh, Abraham, he was the friend of God, it says, and he was a family builder. It says in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, for I know him, Abraham, God says, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. So that's the promises that God made to Abraham, and that's the basis of the gospel, the basis of the good news that is throughout the Bible. And, and here it is, the promises given to Abraham in Genesis, starting in Genesis chapter 12, those, that is the gospel. It tells us that in, in Galatians uh, chapter 3, it talks about how the gospel before was preached to Abraham, and it finishes off in that chapter. It says, if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed or children and heirs according to the same promise. When we're in Christ, it's the same promise as Abraham had that is, that is communicated to us. And Abraham believed God and he was counted as a righteous man. And so we too are required to believe God and then we can be counted righteous. And that verse from Genesis that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness in Genesis uh, chapter 15 and verse 6, it's quoted three times. It's quoted in Romans chapter 4 verse 3, Galatians chapter 3 verse 6, and James 2 verse 23. So that is a very important foundational idea of the gospel is that we have to believe the gospel and the covenant made with Abraham uh, and the seed, the, the, the child that would come from Abraham that would possess the land, the land of Israel. And we believe that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the deliverer and a savior for us and for Israel, as we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, let's talk about David. He, David was a man after God's own heart. And this is what God says to David. Also, the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. God says to David, I'm going to build you a house. And what is that house? It's David's family. It's the royal family of Israel. See, God's all about building households and building families, building society. The Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers... I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's another covenant of God. That's the gospel preached to King David. And, and that gospel, we see how it's fulfilled in, in the New Testament scriptures. It says in Acts chapter 13, verse 22 and 23, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. 
Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. So Jesus is the Savior of Israel, and he's the fulfillment of that promise that we just saw to King David. That's the gospel. Those promises to Abraham and David, that thread runs right through the Bible. And it's God's promise and, and his, his covenant. And that same good news of the gospel was preached by the, one of the greatest angels, Gabriel, to Mary when she was to um, be expecting the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 1, verse 30, it says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus, which means Savior. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, the throne of the kingdom of Israel in Second Samuel chapter 7. We just read about it. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob, that's the 12 tribes of Israel, forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. The kingdom of Israel will be everlasting. It's, it's so strange that these you know, incredible words by an angel to mankind, and yet most, of, most Christians just don't know uh, what this angel said and the significance of those words. Those are some of the... You know, most significant words in the Bible in Luke chapter 1, verse 30 to 33. And so God says, we've talked about how he's going to bring the Jewish people back to the land again. But ye, O mountains of Israel, ye shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are at hand to come. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn unto you, and ye shall be tilled and sown, and I will multiply men upon you. It's going to multiply men on the mountains of Israel. And that's exactly you know, what we see today. All the house of Israel, even all of it, and the city shall be inhabited and the wastes shall be builded as we've seen. And I will multiply upon you man and beast and they shall increase and bring fruit. And I will settle you after your old estates and will do better unto you than at your beginnings. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. And we are seeing that process working out right before our eyes today. In the land of Israel, we see uh, the, the children of Israel return. We see them multiplied upon the mountains of Israel. We see them building the waste cities and we see their children uh, growing up. And uh, and you can look, that's from the Shiloh Tabernacle site looking along the Route 60. And that's a community on the mountains of Israel. Read Ezekiel 38. And there's the fulfillment of it right before your eyes. Absolutely incredible. So as we said, this is a construction process. It's a process. And that's how the Bible um, describes this. In Isaiah chapter 27, verse 6, it says, He shall cause them that come of Jacob to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, you probably thought about the fruits of the Spirit. Because God is going to fill the earth with the fruits of his Spirit, with his glory, with his, with his character, a just and right character. He's going to fill the earth with that, but it's a process. Blossom, bud, and then fill the face of the earth with fruit. So it, it takes time for this growth to happen. And, and we see this process happening before our eyes, but it's, it's a process that's, that is, is under 
that, is, that is ongoing. It says that Israel is going to fill the face of the world with fruit. And I want to answer, what does that mean? How is that going to happen? How is the nation of Israel going to fill the world with fruit? Well, God's purpose, and, and this is in Numbers uh, and in a few places in the Old Testament, but here it's Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. It says, the, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. That is God's purpose. And, uh, and it repeats it in the Old Testament, that the earth would be filled with his glory. And we're going to take the time now to, to look at that in Exodus. What is God's glory? But it's his character. It's a just and righteous character, that it, a godly character, a, a character that looks after widows and orphans. That type of a character of our God, that is, that is the creator. And he wants to fill the earth with people with that character. And, um, and so John talked about this last week, how that there was a kingdom of God in the past at the, at the time of King David, King Solomon. Solomon sat upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord. It was the kingdom of the Lord. So there was a kingdom in the past. And you can look at that kingdom and see how it was a light to the nations around it at that time. That kingdom was destroyed, but the promises of God is that that kingdom will be restored in the future. So Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 17, it says, At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. Remember, it says Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord, the throne of the kingdom of Israel. In the future, it says, at that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all the nations shall be gathered unto it to the name of the Lord to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. So Jerusalem is going to be a light to the world. That's what this verse is telling us. And it's going to be, the throne is going to be there and it's going to be the kingdom of Israel. And from that passage in Luke, from the words of Gabriel, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be a just and righteous king and sit upon that throne. And, um, and this hope is talked about by the apostles. The verses are up there. I, I don't think we have time to turn them up, but um, if you haven't looked at them before, you can maybe just write them down. Acts chapter 1, verses 3 and 6. Acts chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Acts chapter 26, verse 6 and 7. And Acts chapter 28, verse 20. So that restoration of Israel was the hope of Jesus' apostles because he taught them. He taught them that. It says in, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And that's what we've been talking about. And healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. He went preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So we can, we can say, well, we believe in Jesus. We can believe in him as a person that he existed, but that is insufficient. We have to also believe in what he said. He was a messenger from God. We can't just say, well, I believe in the messenger and deny the message. We have to believe in the messenger and his message. We have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his message of the gospel, which is the restoration of the kingdom again to Israel. Now, this passage in Daniel just brings together two other passages that we just talked about. 
So uh, this is a, a vision that Daniel had or Nebuchadnezzar had and Daniel described it to him in Daniel chapter 2. It's an image of the kingdoms of men. We just want to concentrate on the end of the kingdom of men when it's smitten by a stone. And that stone is cut out without hands. It's a shaped stone uh, because it represents, well, it represents not only the Lord Jesus Christ, but his, his kingdom. So, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So the stone smites the image of the kingdom of men. It destroys the kingdom of men. And then that stone kingdom becomes a mountain and fills the whole earth. And in the, in the interpretation of that, Daniel says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. So the stone is the kingdom of God that will break all these other kingdoms and it will fill the whole earth. So God's purpose is that the earth would be filled with his glory. Israel will blossom and bud and fill the face of the earth with fruit. And here... The stone smites the image and becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. What we learn from that is this, that God's purpose that the earth will be filled with his glory will be accomplished by the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of Israel restored under a righteous king, the Lord Jesus Christ, with righteous rulers. And it tells us this in Daniel chapter 7, verse 22, it says, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the most high and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. What are the saints? They're not things in heaven. Saints are sanctified ones. They're ones that are sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they become the rulers of this righteous kingdom that will bring righteousness, justice and peace to this earth. Now, I just want to finish with two passages. This one from Isaiah 30. We already read it together, but it just sums up. It, Isaiah 30 is a, a, an amazing prophecy, and we could spend a lot of time talking about it. But just, uh, you know, applying this to what we see today is really quite amazing. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. We, we see that. The, the Jewish people have returned. Thou shalt weep no more. Uh, but we do see weeping today. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. And when he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And uh, I, I was just looking uh, yesterday because it was uh, the anniversary of uh, October the 7th. I think that was yesterday. And um, and there was a, a huge uh, prayer thing at the, at the Western Wall for the hostages. And there's been many prayer. Uh, there was one today in Hebron, a, a prayer, a gathering of prayer. Um, so there's been a lot of prayers said. And so we see the people of Israel crying to God in prayer. And then it says, and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. And that's exactly what we see today. Uh, we see the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. But then it says, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore but thine eyes shall see thy teachers. Isn't that beautiful? God is going to send teachers to his people. And it goes on to say they're going to be there and they're going to say, this is the way. 
walking in it and they're going to direct the Jewish people in the way that they should go. And that's the next thing in this prophecy. And, and we believe that that will um, soon come to pass. So I just want to finish with this passage from Isaiah chapter 2. For out of Zion shall go forth law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The, the word of the Lord that those kids are learning today in Shiloh, that word of the Lord and the gospel message in its fullness from those teachers that we just heard about is going to go out from Zion into all the world. And it's going to bring healing. It's going to bring justice. It's going to bring righteousness. And it's going to bring peace to this earth. And it's going to restore family. And it's going to build family and righteous societies in this earth. And that's the time that we wait for. Thank you for your attention.